0: everybody, welcome to another episode of Friday Happy Hour, the show where we shoot the breeze about whatever's on our mind, of course, over a few drinks. I am your host, Tyler Buckingham, and I am thrilled to be joined today by my good drinking buddy, Erica Sears, all the way from the Oregon coast. Erica, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Cheers from a, a pretty rainy Oregon coast.
0: Well, cheers to you, Uh, Erica. It is my pleasure to be having a beverage with you today, a little happy hour time to talk about tourism. Uh, At an interesting time, ladies and gentlemen, if you are paying attention to the world around you, you might have noticed that things are starting to wake back up. Coastal tourism economies around the country Are gearing up for springtime Uh, for those of us in the lower latitudes on the Texas coast and I'm sure over in Florida and the Carolinas and maybe even over in California as well there's a spring break push people are getting out the young folks anyway and are enjoying our coastal spaces the way they did maybe pre-COVID even though we are certainly still in it we have to report that tourism numbers are on their way back up and that is certainly Uh, probably good news for businesses that have been uh, running on on fumes here during the past year. Uh, But also, of course, we'd be remiss to say that uh, we are not out of the woods yet on the COVID virus. So I have with me Erica Sears, who is going to help color in a little bit about the tourism picture. Uh, And let's, Erica, just start with your situation in Oregon. Can you tell me a little bit about what the vibe is right now? One year after things kind of shut down uh, from a tourism perspective due to COVID-19.
1: Yeah. Um, the vibe, it's, it's as if you're drinking a mimosa and I'm drinking whiskey. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, the, <laughs> it's a good meme. <laughs> things are looking up, but I would say it's a different kind of re- reawakening. It's not our usual like spring cleaning. Let's do this. It feels like I can't believe this has been a year. It's like waking up and you're not sure where you are and you're kind of disoriented and you're like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> um, but that being said, yeah, I think we are seeing things waken up and in a positive way, especially at a federal level. Um, You know, Biden is making these comments like, if we keep it up, maybe you can have a barbecue with your friends and family for the 4th of July. You know, hopefully yeah. all adults will have access to a vaccine by May. And so having that just feels so much better than this past year of like, please follow the rules or else we're not sure what will happen. You know, now it's like follow the rules and we can get there. So um, yeah, we're having businesses gearing up here for spring break. Um, I think Washington, our neighbor to the north, their spring break is kind of this week-ish and then Oregon's is next week. So um, land management agencies like state parks, hotels, everybody's gearing up to have hopefully good visitation
0: so what i mean uh, how is the uh, our communities after obviously tour coastal tourism towns along the oregon coast i have to imagine are feeling it pretty bad right now i mean how are how do they how do they feel i mean are our businesses shuttered up uh or did they make it through i mean what's the general uh level of uh, Urgency here to get tourism reestablished. I mean, I'm not saying at pre-COVID-19 levels, but, you know, maybe getting close to maybe 80 percent of those levels. Like how desperate are our businesses and communities uh, to reawaken that old economic engine?
1: Yeah, I think. It's been interesting. So the Oregon coast is about 363 miles long. So it's a fairly large region. And the Northern part of our coast is in what we call the Portland blast zone. So it's a, within a day's trip of Portland's, um, a pretty big area. So the North coast actually, which is two coastal counties, they have been beating 2020s records, 2019's records, even wow. last summer, we've had so much visitation. And, um, you know, if we look back to a year ago, from this spring break i remember hearing on this network of different stories around coastlines remember we were all flooded with day trip visitors yeah like we were like we're shut down and i heard all these other coastal destinations were like we're shut down because of this thing COVID's happening and still coastal destinations were flooded and i think that's because people are naturally drawn to the ocean they feel safer in beaches on coastlines because it's fresh air they have more space and so um you know, definitely numbers have been lower, especially on our Southern Oregon coast, which is away from major airports. Um, but I think that coastlines and rural areas did a lot better over this past year than major urban areas, like, like the city of Portland, um, just because people wanted to find their own space and be in the outdoors.
0: And what is it, what's the vibe like in the town where you live? Uh, you know, last we talked, I think we were doing a Friday Happy Hour, Erica. Come to think of it, but we were talking about Zoom towns, mm-hmm. and how uh, the pandemic had created kind of this new type of tourist—a uh, long-term visitor who might be uh, spending a season, uh, or, or a, a, a not a short-term period of time, maybe maybe a week or, or longer, several weeks. Uh, at a destination, working there, maybe relocating their family at least for that period of time to that location. Hell, if the kids are doing school on Zoom and you're working from Zoom, why not get out of the city and tra- is that are you still seeing that in your own community? And, and what's what's your assessment there?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting for Oregon, after spring break, most of our schools are going back to in-person sessions or at least hybrid. So I'm going to be interested to see what visitation looks like as far as families that, like you had just said, were like, well, we might as well be homeschooling from the Oregon coast rather than in a city with, you know, maybe no backyard or something. So we'll see how that trend changes. But it is an interesting thing. Like I felt I'm kind of like a silver lining person. Uh, I feel like this past year has shown us we've learned some really good lessons. And for us, we have a really long coastline. And when we try to have meetings in person, it might require someone to drive an hour or two hours round trip for like a 45 minute meeting. Because pre pre COVID people weren't super stoked about virtual meetings or zoom. But now, Like everyone's been using it for a year. Their kids have been using it. They've been using it for work. I'm hoping there's some lessons like that. Like let's look at hybrid meetings. Let's look at online meetings because we've had more people attending them and it's more accessible for that person that can't get away from their office for three hours or has to pick up kids for, you know, before dinner. Um, So we'll see too, if maybe other people learn that lesson, like, Hey, it turns out I'm really effective working from home. So moving forward into the future, I'm going to actually live on the Oregon coast and continue working remotely from my job based in Portland. So we'll kind of see how Zoom towns change and who kind of sticks with it. And if it's a generational thing too, maybe it's younger generations that are sort of digging the Zoom town scene.
0: Oh my God, Erica, you're going to love this because it originates on LinkedIn. I was surfing. Oh my gosh. I was surfing (laughs) LinkedIn per, per an Erica Sears special here. (laughs) And I saw an article uh, recently and it was talking about what you were just referencing, which is uh, uh, with millennials, uh, my generation. I suppose you're probably a millennial, too. I am. And uh, this is precisely what you're saying, where there's been a this particular economist theorizes that there will be a permanent or at least a long lasting relocation effect. Uh, because of precisely what you said that it's it's twofold it's one that businesses and employers are uh, trained up and understand that good productive work can occur uh, outside of the office and also that uh, two people know the the power of virtual meeting that you can convene people from you know as you say the people's coast over there in Oregon is a long coastline and it can take Mm -hmm. hours to traverse the whole thing. And if you've got a long drive, that's a that's a lot of productivity lost. And I do think that we learned something about uh, how to maybe be a little bit more productive using our Internet connections during this period of time. I don't think there's any doubt.
1: I'm so happy you found that on LinkedIn, because (laughs) as you and I know, I've really blossomed With my LinkedIn over the past year, um, (laughs) it's been one of the ways that I feel like I get that kind of coworker energy that I haven't been able to get from meeting up and having in-person meetings. So um, you'll have to send that article to me.
0: I will. I'll have to dig it up and maybe put it in the show notes. And uh, that's a good, this is a great opportunity uh, to crack a beer out there, ladies and gentlemen, and make sure to follow Coastal News Today on LinkedIn where we post at least 10 of our news stories every day and all of our podcasts now. We are increasing our LinkedIn presence because like you, Erica, we really dig LinkedIn. And we know that the professionals around the American Shoreline uh, have a lot to share and LinkedIn's a great place to do it.
1: The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by... LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today daily blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show.
0: I want to play a game with Erica Sears called, and this is we I've, I'm batting around different names for this game. It was I was thinking we could do kind of a fishing thing, like put it in the cooler or throw it back. Uh, or I was thinking kind of a surfing theme like catch the wave or duck the wave. Uh, do you have a, a naming preference, Erica? I, I I leave it to you at this point.
1: Wow. What an honor. Um, I love I love even putting some thought into this like the catch and release is good.
0: That's right. Catch and release. That's a good one right there. Catch and release
1: yeah let's catch and release some news articles
0: let's catch and release so this game ladies and gentlemen i'm gonna go down the tourism section of coastalnewstoday.com and uh we are going erica will say catch it or release it and if she says catch we're gonna dive deep into a story if she says release we're moving on so erica you ready to play
1: let's do it
0: all right so the first story story number one at the time of this recording this could probably change by the time you listen to this is from the Cayman Islands, and it's DART's new town threatens beach access. Do you want to explore that story, Erica? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Erica, here's the deal. In the Cayman Islands in DART, which is apparently a municipality there, there is a plan to build a 157-acre development. And if this development goes through 10 historically used beach accesses that have been used by Caymanians for apparently generations will be lost. What are your thoughts on this issue from a tourism perspective?
1: Yeah, deep inhale um, to start with. I think, so beach access is so important, especially to us on the Oregon coast. That's why we are branded as the People's Coast, because it is free and accessible to everyone. That being said, we're starting to see that the parking lots, that are next to the beach, which you have to use to get to the beach, they're starting to implement payment and parking fees that could be up to $10 a day. So very sensitive, like I'm very sensitive to beach access, um, but I'm also sensitive to change. And so I think there's like two things going on here. One is like the change of having a new development. What does that mean for the community's identity? How much input was there from stakeholders? And what is what is the main you know objection to having it is it the beach access and then there's also the beach access point like we can't take away local livability in order to bring in tourism i think that often does not go well t- together if if the, the tourism which should be the economic driver is not also benefiting locals then you're gonna have some challenges so super interesting story um it we is definitely- it, yeah, it requires a, some dig some deeper
0: digging it is and and I have to I'll be the first to admit that uh, I Do not know much about beach access rules in the Cayman Islands But I do see here on the coastal news today dot-com story that this particular uh, Blockage is in the court system and uh, so there are apparently laws that uh either protect or govern uh, how beach access is managed in the Cayman Islands. It will be interesting to track that, of course. Stay tuned to CoastNewsToday.com for more information that I'm sure we will post if when when uh, it becomes available. Next story. Catch a release, Erica. California, from the great state of California, state parks want to transform this Central Coast treasure into a tourist destination. This is opinion writer says no way you want to catch it or release it
1: let's just catch it and see let's see what it is let's see what the beef is
0: all right right. let's see what the beef is it appears that what we have here is a development plan to add significant uh, development to this park area I believe it is called the uh, Oceano Dunes writing area and it would add 200 RV campsites 100 drive-in campsites and 20 cabins to this area and where the beef is Erica is it appears that environmental groups along with the neighboring municipality in that area are opposed to this because it they they feel like this is going to bring in folks who are going to use this area for uh, off-road vehicles we're talking dirt bikes ATVs four-wheelers and that sort of thing and that that would degrade the ecosystem of this area which is currently used uh, I should say not much seems like very few people kind of use it but for uh, birding and more shall we say environmentally uh, soft uh, uh, more friendly uh, environmental uh, experiences. So what are your thoughts on this story?
1: I would say it's not surprising, especially after this year, we've seen a huge demand on outdoor recreation resources. So um, I think it makes sense that a state agency would say we have more people than ever leaving urban areas, trying to find outdoor recreation experiences. And I don't know what the capacity has been in California for state parks, but if they're looking for more areas, I could see like, Hey, here's an opportunity let's possibly develop this. But um, 40 RV sites, Like, I'm sure anybody that's listening to this and you've been camping next to an RV, it is loud. Like, they have a, you know, they're, like, generator engine thing going. They're watching TV in there. And we're talking about
0: 200 RV camps. Oh, 200,
1: yes. So, that is a totally different experience. You know, that's not... I could totally understand the community not being interested in that. Um, And I wonder how the negotiations, if there will be negotiations, would go if all these advocacy groups and the communities that would benefit from it economically are against it. If, if the state parks would be willing to back down and put in just camp, like normal tent sites or cabin sites, which people, again, I think it's been really trendy. People want to have like their own little mini home or little cabin, um, which can, might have less impact. So
0: yeah, it is. It's a tough one. And I happen to know that that region does have, a history going back several decades of people going there from all over the state of california to do the activities of like riding their atvs what and whatnot on the sand you know it's really fun i suppose i have never done it but i know that it's it must it looks really fun to be like buzzing along at high speeds in the soft sand it looks really cool Uh, but of course that is not good for the ecology of the dune system in fact i think it pretty much destroys everything Uh, So it wouldn't surprise me if this is part of a larger negotiation. Uh, This is obviously a big deal with the state of California. Again, stay tuned to Coastal News Today to learn more about it. We will be tracking it. Moving along, next story. Catch it or release it, Erica. Coming from Hawaii. It's going to be hard to say no to this one. Some Hawaii beaches may lose lifeguards as state runs short of cash. What do you think about that one?
1: Let's catch it. What's going on with the lifeguards? I think we
0: got to catch it. So far, we're three for three on catches. We're not doing a lot of releasing so far, but uh, this one's pretty straightforward. Due to COVID-19 and and the impacts that it had on Hawaii's uh, state budget, uh, lifeguards are being cut back. And what this makes me think of, Erica, is our uh, late colleague, Dan Martin, who used to Think all the time about the way that families would travel but I know that you know when 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 parents bring their kids and their their family to the beach safety is a a major concern uh, not surprisingly and so I do think it it might this might be a pattern that we'll see elsewhere outside of Hawaii of course and around the American shoreline where local governments that normally would pay for a lifeguard program or maybe even a state program that's paying are going to have to cut back a little bit. What do you think? Do you think this is going to impact maybe family tourism?
1: I think it'll impact any kind of tourism. And so it's such a good point as we're talking about tourism, it's making a comeback, like Disneyland starting to open up again. We had the super bowl and the Grammys and people start getting really excited is that the transient lodging tax or the tourism tax, obviously, Obviously, it's different in every state, but a lot of times that money that's generated by tourists is what goes into city budgets. There's some cities on the Oregon coast where it's 40% of a city budget, 80% of a city budget. So we also saw these cuts. We don't have lifeguards on most of the coastline, but we do have like state park rangers that were on the beaches. And because there wasn't enough funding, they were taken off the beaches into like essential operations on campgrounds. So... Things are reopening, but we still have maybe a lack of staff capacity for management agencies like lifeguards, state park rangers, people that provide services and information. So as you go back to your favorite destinations, it's not going to look the same. It's not going to feel the same, and you're not going to have the same support as you did pre-COVID. So I think this highlights it perfectly, what that could look like.
0: Great points, and I just have to plug... Uh, our Capital Beach podcast and our Waterlog podcast that are focused on federal policy. But uh, this is why that federal uh, bailout for local governments is so important. Local governments cannot spend in a deficit. So when they run out of money, they just have to cut programs. And uh, for so many of these American shoreline communities, whether they're in Hawaii, or Florida, or Maine, or wherever, or Oregon, uh, Erica, the budget has been utterly imploded by, by this time. And, uh, of course, we're confident that eventually things will come back, but in the meantime, I think you're 100% correct, things will look differently. And a good reminder to, to keep an eye out on on, the, on your representative, your federal representative, and see how they're acting Uh, with regard to providing federal aid and federal relief to local governments, because this is the kind of thing that that federal aid could fund. All right, Erica, I think we will do one more. What do you say? One more catch. Uh, One more catch. You can pick whatever you want. I'm going to move now to uh, South Carolina, where in Folly Beach, they have banned smoking on the beach to eliminate cigarette litter. Catch it or release it.
1: Let's release
0: it. I like it. I like it. We need at least one release. Good, you know, good stewardship there. Going to Canada. This is a good one. Uh, Your, I'm going to say, kind of extended neighbor to the north, at least kind of a close neighborhood. We're going to Vancouver Island where the uh, Vancouver Island tourism CEO says that the struggle to come back after COVID-19 will, quote, take years. Catch it or release it. Let's catch it. You got it. All right, so the deal here, Erica, is that the CEO of Vancouver Island Tourism uh, has reported that there have been some major, major impacts due to COVID-19, as we might all imagine. And here are some statistics uh, for our listeners to get an idea of what's going on here. In a pre-COVID year, tourism generates about $3.5 billion dollars and supports 70,000 jobs in Vancouver Island. And with the uh, pandemic on, only 17% of BC tourism businesses in the region have been operating as usual. 53% are operating at reduced capacity. 30% of the businesses have closed at some time during the past year. And as a comparison, last July, 39% of businesses reported losing 50% or more of their revenue compared to the same month in 2019. Well, that's a pretty gnarly uh, COVID situation, Erica. But what's interesting about this article is not all the doom and gloom. It's also the support uh, in the form of the BC Tourism Resiliency Network. This is kind of cool. This includes the Vancouver Island Coastal Tourism Resiliency Program. And what they have done is uh, offered support to over 1,700 res- registered uh British Columbia tourism businesses including 435 on Vancouver Island 201 women-owned businesses 77 indigenous owned businesses uh, and 44 422 British Columbia tourism businesses uh, were assisted by uh, Canadian federal and provincial programs of course this is all in Canada our friends to the north Erica I'm just dying to know what your reaction is to this program uh, and and to the story is, does, does this relate to you uh, being in Oregon? Kind of close?
1: Yeah. So I think it's interesting when we're looking at recovery and I think the title of this, like, you know, the comeback will take years. And that's partially too, because even as we're getting vaccines and there's these rollouts, our restaurants and hotels, again, depending on what state you're in, have different capacities and reductions. So they haven't been able to have all their tables full. That means they can't have maybe full menus going on or their full staff. And so it does take a long time. Even when we hear the word, it's reopened and I can go back to the destination. It's not necessarily the same story for the businesses. Um, so it is interesting to see, you know, the data like this. It's always just like a, a you know, a real punch to the gut to hear, you know, the <laughs> amount of losses that have happened. I know, I know. Um, it's, it's amazing. For, I do have a stat for the U S and we had a 500 billion loss in travel spending. Um, so also big number, I'll match your big numbers with more big numbers. Yeah,
0: Take that Canada (laughs) 3.5 billion measly, but it is just Vancouver. (laughs) You know, it's just Vancouver Island, but nonetheless
1: it's not a it's not a competition don't be so american erica um but then the second part of this this resiliency network i think this is like a really cool example of where tourism organizations can work together and then provide support so especially maybe a tourism organization that's traditionally been a marketing entity couldn't market this past year you know yeah a th- at least if they're following the rules, like you shouldn't be marketing out of state and saying like, hey, bring you and your whole COVID sick family to our town. Um, That wasn't happening. And so I think we saw successful scenarios where these marketing entities started doing more supports and developments. In Oregon, our state tourism organization did a program called Destination Ready Program. And they just awarded $913,000 to projects across the state. And so those were projects like we need more trash cans in our city because we had more people visiting and there's more to-go boxes than ever. Right, Our trash cans could not manage the amount of to-go boxes or we need an ADA kayak launch because of this outdoor recreation strain. So there are these really excellent examples. And I think the states, those of us that have tourism organizations to be that support and that can be flexible with the times, it's like excellent. We're so lucky.
0: <laughs> Definitely. And I, I, you know, Erica, uh, first of all, let me just say it's been an absolute pleasure spending this Friday Happy Hour with you. And you raised some just excellent points. But the most important is while this Friday Happy Hour is called Tourism Reawakens, we should remember that we are coming into recovery And we're not going to just immediately snap back to any sort of pre-COVID-19 existence. We have a lot of recovery to do. We have gone through a major, major historic event on the American shoreline that has impacted many of our critical sectors of economic activity and engines that, that people who live and work and recreate on the American shoreline rely on. And it is going to take a recovery process to get back, just like it does after a major storm uh, on the American shoreline. We will, it will take maybe, in fact, years, but the important thing is we will take steps along the way to make sure we get through it together. Erica Sears, any final final thoughts uh, on this show?
1: Yes, I have to share this quote with you. Please do. <laughs> okay. So, um, For those of you who don't know, Eventbrite, yes, the online event system has a pretty good newsletter um, that gives updates about events going on around the United States and especially during COVID, like what's happening, what's not happening, you know, trends. And so Texas, as... Some of us may know. Um, lifted all restrictions. <laughs> Congrats, true. Tyler. That's cool. I know. It's you like guys all done. You just wiped your hands clean of COVID. We're,
0: we're just—it's like a whole new day over here. Although I should say that that's actually not true. We are still <laughs> those of us in Austin and in, in the Blueberry. We're still putting our masks on.
1: Well, here we go. So this is a quote from this newsletter. Okay, so he's lifted all restrictions in Texas, including mask mandates and restrictions on public gatherings. However. Some music venue owners and workers are fighting back and remaining partially or fully opened or fully closed. Austin venue Mohawk. Do you know that venue? Do you go there?
0: Absolutely. Legendary. Okay.
1: They tweeted, thanks, bro, but we ain't going to do it till it's safe.
0: <laughs> That's very Austin. Thanks, I love bro. It. <laughs> hey, listen, we try, we try not to bro out too hard here, but in this particular case, I think I can get behind it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the vibe, you know, that's about maybe half Americans are kind of feeling that way. And that's part of sort of this big question mark about travel is those people that are still like, thanks for all the work you're doing. It's looking good, but still not doing it until it's safe. And how do we decide when it's safe? So there's my, there's my, there's my wrap up for you.
0: Well, Erica, I really appreciate it. I think that's a great point, and I would reiterate it for all of our listeners out there. Please continue to be safe. Continue to mask up uh, if you are uh, out there. And, of course, get vaccinated. And if you are going out there and enjoying a beach uh, or anywhere else, for that matter, please continue to be uh, be a good citizen and protect other people around you it will help us recover faster if we do that and that's the key and uh don't don't do as uh the texas governor suggested we still have a ways to go with that ladies and gentlemen a final cheers from me the toastmaster of this friday happy hour and uh Have a fantastic weekend, and we will be back with you next week for more great stuff on the American Shoreline Podcast Network.